0: Several miles off the main highway, tucked away in a secluded canyon on prime vineyard property, stands a rustic barn that was built many decades before the vines around it were planted. In that barn, a sophisticated broadcast and recording studio has been built. The barn also has a well-hidden root cellar stocked with many of the world's most exceptional wines, only to be shared with guests who secretly come to offer their insights and tell their stories. Guests are sworn to secrecy, and are shuttled to the studio aboard a John Deere tractor. Those who cannot make the journey in person are interviewed by satellite hookup, and sometimes the crew simply sneaks away with microphones in hand and interviews guests in barrel rooms, wine cellars, and other magical places. All of this is done like clockwork every single week, so that we can bring you another episode of Grape Encounters Radio. me a grape, crush me some ice, skin me a peach, save the fuzz for my pillow.
1: Hello, Grape Encounterists. Glad you could make it for the show this week. I am your wine captain, David Wilson, for this week's show and every other show. I'm in a kind of a funky mood today. I wouldn't call it a bad mood or a good mood exactly, just a a thoughtful mood. I realized why I got to this place or how I got to this place. And let me just start by saying this, that if you're like me, and if you're like a lot of the people that I know, your habits over the past year or so have changed, especially when it comes to getting up in the morning. Now, it used to be that when I got up in the morning... I'd wake up with blurry eyes and usually wake up a little bit before even the alarm would go off on my phone. And I would uh, look on the phone and there are certain sources where I get information about wine topics. And I'd usually survey those and then kind of fall back into a slumber and kind of think through story ideas and, you know, maybe wake up a little bit later and do the same thing. But in the past year, I kind of stopped doing that. I'm a little bit upset with myself because now I I get up, I wake up and I Google and I Google news instead to think about or look at, you know, what's going on in the rest of the world, because life has been kind of surreal the last year. You, You have to admit that doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on or what your political beliefs are. It's just been a strange world that we've been living in lately. And I don't want to get political, but, you know, I think what happens with me is that I sit in the bar, the wine bar that we operate, the Grape Encounters Emporium, and it stimulates a lot of conversations. And by nature, when you drink wine or really any alcoholic beverage, I would say, you know, you get into some deep discussions. And it used to be that those discussions weren't as political as they are now, but now they get really super political. And I get to the point where I try to just get people to talk about other things because sometimes people can get very passionate in this world that we're living in now. So anyway, last night, I was in the bar, and a couple of those conversations ensued. And I felt really tense after closing up the shop. So I decided to go over to the studio, but by this time, I'm feeling super anxious. And I look down at the carpet, and it drives me insane. There's stains all over the place. That's because we spill wine, (laughs) you know, in the studio. I'm thinking, you know what? i got to blow off a little steam, and what better way to blow off steam than to steam clean the carpets? But then I make a desperate mistake. I've got a big screen TV in the studio and I turn it on. And what do I turn on? I turn on the news. And I even flip between different news channels. And now, obviously, I can't watch the news while I'm steam cleaning because it's making too much noise. So I turn on closed caption so I can actually read it. So I see these images on the screen of the Supreme Leader of North Korea and the President of China, and they're looking all buddy-buddy and chummy and didn't have an opinion one way or the other, except that, you know, like everybody else, I thought that was a strange sight. I finish steam cleaning about 2 o'clock in the morning. I go to bed. What happens? I start dreaming, and I have this dream, and I'm not making this up. I have this dream that I am sitting with Kim Jong-un And we're drinking wine, and it's kind of a giggly situation. And I think even the president of China was there. And it occurs to me that I maybe in that dream was trying to broker some kind of a world peace deal. I don't know. Just when things seemed like they were going pretty good, this guy walks in with a beer. And the supreme leader is more interested in the beer than the wine. I start to wake up. I think it was Dennis Rodman maybe with the beer. I'm not sure. But anyway, I wake up. And so... (laughs) It got me to thinking that I have got to change this habit, got to change the habit. And so for the first time in, I think, about a year, I went back to the old habit, which was start looking at wine topics again, because I've got to stop looking at news. That is to say, stop looking at news first. And look at the wine topics first, and then I won't even care about the news because I love wine. And frankly, I just hate the news now, but it's like a giant soap opera. Uh, And I'm just trying to stay out of it. You know, I don't want to be on either side, but it's fascinating, if nothing else. So my point here is this, you know, wine is such a wonderful, peaceful product. And I remember the words of Mike Gergich that have stuck in my head for the longest time. Mike Gergich, of course, uh, the winemaker at the time from Chateau Montalena, who made the wine that won the Judgment of Paris back in 1976. And Mike said that you should always drink wine, not water, because water separates continents and wine brings people together. So I'm going to make a suggestion to you, first of all, and that's going to be this. When you're drinking wine, maybe you should avoid political topics. Because it really causes the wine to work in a very different way than it was intended. It was intended to bring people together. It was intended to break bread over. It's a really good and beautiful thing. And I just want to encourage people when you you, you go into a tasting room, or you're sitting in a bar, you're drinking a, a bottle of wine. And I know I'm editorializing and I know you're probably saying you've lost a few screws, David. But truth be known. I don't want to wake up in the morning with my head full of politics and feel like I need to self-medicate with a glass of wine, which I don't because I'm against doing that, but sometimes I almost feel like it. So let's always remember what the... Purpose of wine is to begin with. It's ceremonial, it's celebratory, it's fun stuff. So let's kind of tone down the arguments over wine. You know what? That's probably what whiskey's for, and it's really what tequila is for. If you really want to get into a deep political discussion and just get really ugly with each other, you know, just pour yourself several shots of tequila and, and that'll all be really good. All right, so now I uh I wanna jump into one of two topics that I wanna talk about today because I came across a, a really interesting story. I don't know if interesting is the right word, but it's a it's a fun story and it has to do with wine branding. There was a story out that Treasury Brands has come out with a line of wines. That celebrates the walking debt and and I have had really mixed emotions ever since I read that this morning because there is a point where I am really supportive of branding and there is a point where I am really not supportive of branding I'm gonna give you an example of where I think it works really well and where it emanates from to begin with you know we're seeing a lot more of this where record albums are celebrated on wine labels and programs like the Game of Thrones and other movies I've seen. And now it's The Walking Dead. I know there was a line of wine for that celebrated Star Wars. And there's been a lot of that kind of thing going on. And I think it obviously goes back to when we were younger. Obviously, they still do this, but you go into the movie theater to go see the latest Star Wars movie or some superhero movie or whatever it might be. And you get that very special cup that has, um, you know, the plastic cup. It's a bigger cup. And it's got images of the movie on it. And as a kid, I mean, that's just the greatest thing. And you may have to pay 50 cents more to get the special collector's edition glass, which is going to sit in the cabinet and get dusty. You know, it feels good because you're sitting there in the theater and you've got this really special glass and you're watching that special movie. And it's it all comes together and it's just not the same as having a just a paper cup, a plain paper cup that says Pepsi or Coke on it. You have got Darth Vader on it or Luke Skywalker on it, and that is super cool. But how does that translate into the kind of branding that we're now seeing more and more of where we put programs like The Walking Dead on a Wine Bottle. Is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? Is it just shameless marketing? So I'm going to give you my take on this. Let's see if we can make some sense out of when branding makes good sense for wine and when it's just completely unnecessary and even shameless. We're going to get into that next on Grape Encounters Radio. We're also going to get into a very interesting take on Judging tomorrow, I'm going to be judging a wine competition. And normally, when I talk about wine competitions, I talk about it from the perspective of how do we come up with the scores and things like that. But I'm going to get into something completely different. I've never talked about it on the radio before, but I'm going to talk about it today. And that is the fears of a wine judge, the responsibilities of a wine judge to his or herself and some of the trepidations that we have when we judge a competition because even if you're a seasoned judge there are times where you can get really shaky not from the wine but you can you can feel very nervous about the situation you're in and i'll explain why but first we're going to talk about branding then we'll get into that subject but right now we're going to commercials and i'll see you back here in just a couple of minutes
0: The best way to avoid spitting wine is to avoid wines unworthy of being swallowed. David will be right back in a spit second. Oops, my bad. Make that split second.
1: Hi, it's David Wilson, and if you're a frequent listener, you know that I constantly tell you the importance of aerating most wines. If you don't, you're simply not tasting your wine in all of its glory. Well, there's a remarkable new wine aeration product out that's beautiful, mesmerizing, and destined to revolutionize conventional decanting. It's the V-Spin, a gorgeous decanter that sits on a simple stand. But inside that stand is some very innovative magnetic technology, which enables the wine in the decanter to swirl silently creating a vortex that exposes the wine to the perfect amount of air in just a few minutes, accomplishing what otherwise could take hours. And you can adjust the speed and time to perfectly suit the wine varietal. I've put the vSpin through rigorous testing, and the results were consistently stunning. And you can now buy it on Amazon. Learn more at vspin.us. That's v as in vino, spin.us. I want to tell you about one of my absolute favorite treats in the world. I take a piece of triple cream brie cheese, put a few very special 100% organic heirloom walnuts on top, and then drizzle a little honey on it to make this a purely irresistible morsel of deliciousness. Then, I pour myself a small serving of decadent port-style wine to create the perfect complement. That's just one example of how I pamper myself with products from M.M. Organics in Paso Robles, California. Now, you're on your own with the honey and brie, but the walnuts and port-style dessert wine can be ordered online at mmorganics.com. They've also got lots of other delicious walnut products available, including their peerless, sprouted walnuts in lots of decadent flavors, organic gluten-free walnut flour, raw organic walnut butter the State Organic Walnut Oil, and Fairtrade Dark Chocolate Covered Walnuts. MM Organics products are among the best in the world. Get yours shipped right away at mmorganics.com.
0: Connecting winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine... From around the globe, you are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson.
1: Okay, back with Grape Encounters Radio, and we're talking about the idea of branding wines with pop culture. You know, things like movies, music. There's part of it that I feel very comfortable with and I enjoy, Then there's part of it that I just shake my head and and say, "Uh uh-uh, that's just not gonna work. Uh, Speaking of something that works really incredibly well, I have sitting here on my desk my V-spin. And if you have not gone to grapeencounters.com, um, and checked out the V-Spin, you are really missing something because this is the coolest wine product that I've seen in a long time. The Coravin was my favorite product. Right now, the V-Spin's my favorite product because it's just so incredibly unique. It's a wine aeration device, and you know I'm into wine aeration. And what it is, is it's a Spieglau crystal decanter that sits on this little pedestal. But here's the twist. You drop this little, it almost looks like a plastic pill into the bottom of the decanter. Pour your wine in, turn it on, you can adjust the speed, you can adjust the time, and it creates this vortex silently, gently spins the wine to perfection. And when I say spins the wine, what it's doing is it's it's accelerating what normally happens in a decanter by like, you know, tenfold, more than that actually. And the wine comes out so perfectly and gently aerated. I I can't even begin to tell you the reaction that people get from this device. It is just amazing. If you're a wine aficionado, you love cool stuff, check out the vSpin. I'm so glad they came on as a sponsor. They still sought us out because they knew my passion for aerating wine and why it's so doggone important. So anyway, you can go to v-spin.us. That's their website. You can buy it at Amazon. If you can't remember any of that, you can just go to grapeencounters.com. We've got it at the top of the page. So back to wine and pop culture, wine and branding. There's been a lot of this going on lately. You know, it's gone on since the beginning of time. But if you've been a longtime wine drinker, you know that wine labels used to be really super conservative. You know, they used to, frankly, try to be classy. The times, they're changing. And if you don't believe that, I would just encourage you to look at some of the wines that come out of places like Bordeaux, where the wine labels were always very, very prim and proper, classy, there'd be an etching of the estate on the bottle. But even in places like France and Spain and Italy, where they're much more conservative about wine labeling, they're getting really out there with their labels as well. But here in the States, any opportunity, it seems that we have to cross-promote, I should say, products, we do. But does it really work when it comes to wine? Well, there was an example of this uh, some years back, I believe they still make the wines, that I really, really found very exciting and it was a company called wines that rock the wines are produced by the mendocino wine company i'm pretty sure they still make the wines but anyway the premise was that they would create a wine and pair it with particular musical groups or bodies of work for instance there was a woodstock wine the rolling stones wine a dark side of the moon wine but they would have a specific explanation as to why they created, specifically created these wines to pair with that music. And I actually really buy into it. In fact, they asked me to pick an album that I loved and was uh, Hotel California. And I went up there and sat down with a winemaker and we went through all of the characteristics of Hotel California, the style of the music and what it was about, and then tried to equate it to... Different styles of wine, different types of grapes, and blended this really cool wine that was my Hotel California wine. They never actually released it, but that's what they did with the other wines as well. And I thought it was actually very successful, and it made a lot of sense to me. So going back to this morning after trying to make peace with the world dream that I had by sharing wine with the supreme leader of North Korea— I jumped out of politics and into what was going on in the wine world, and I see this Walking Dead brand. So at first, I'm saying to myself, eh, I'm not so sure about that one. But when I think Walking Dead, I'm thinking zombies, and, and I'm thinking, well, you know, if I drink too much wine, I'm a zombie. Or if the wine's bad, maybe it's made by zombies, or maybe they're thinking about grapes where the roots are six feet under. I don't know. So I don't know the rationale behind it, but I suspect the rationale is that it's just having fun with wine and it's just associating the wine with a brand and so now I'm just kind of iffy about that not crazy about that idea I'm going to give you kind of a thumbs up thumbs down and this is without tasting the wines but it's it's just Uh, more about shameless branding that may or may not make sense. Okay, so let's start with one. The Duck Commander wine, which I think is associated with Duck Dynasty. You know, so they've got a Rosé and they've got a Chardonnay. I'm not sure how any of that relates to the show, but, you know, there are great wines that could be served with duck. So I suppose that might make some sense, but it's really on the edge. Star Trek wine. I don't know. I would think that wine would have to be blue or something, or there'd be something really offbeat about it, but simply a yellow label with Spock staring at an enemy doesn't completely work for me. Now, here's one that worked for me because wine figured very much into the show and that's Downton Abbey. They have a claret and claret, if you don't know, is another word for Bordeaux, but it's what they use in England. And so that really makes a lot of sense to me. So, uh, you know, those are just a few examples, but here's where I really get irritated. And that's when we put a cool, label on a bottle that says absolutely nothing about what I'm going to get inside. Now, if I see a label that is really super clever, but then I see that the wine is a mass-produced wine, it occurs to me, or at least I think, the label is more about attracting attention and trying to get the bottle to jump off the shelf than it is to tell me what's inside the bottle. On the other hand, if I see a really clever label and it's coming from a boutique winery that's making interesting wines to begin with, then I think the label maybe reflects the character of the winemaker or the winemaking operation, and then I'm really good with that. Unfortunately, too many times today, what's happening is we're putting pictures of dogs and cats and horses and sheep and ducks and, you know, whatever on the label of a wine bottle. Those are called, by the way, critter labels. We create these critter labels because we know people have strong love of those particular types of critters. And if there's a dog, let's say um, a golden retriever, I love golden retrievers. And, you know, maybe I might be enticed to buy the wine. And that to me is shameless. There are other examples of the bachelor and the bachelorette have wines And wine and romance makes a lot of sense to me, but I would want to make sure that the wines that are in the bottle are the kind of wines that are known to have aphrodisiac qualities, and there are such wines, and if that were the case, that would make a lot of sense. I just wanted to share a few thoughts with you, because before you go and you buy a bottle of wine, please, you cannot judge a book by its cover, and that is particularly true in the world of wine And just because there's an image on the label you have a strong association with, that does not mean you're going to like the wine inside the bottle. The bigger the company that makes the wine, the greater the chance, in my opinion that it might be a stinker. All right, we're coming back. Going to talk about uh, some of the trepidations that judges may have at wine competitions. I'm going to a wine competition leaving tonight, and I'll be judging tomorrow, and I'm going to tell you uh, how I sometimes get a little nervous at competitions and how others do as well. We'll get into that next on Grape Encounters.
0: No good story about wine deserves to be bottled up. Committed to uncorking a new wine story every day is your host, David Wilson, right after this.
1: For nearly four years, I've taken many opportunities to tell you about the place that Grape Encounters Radio calls home, Atascadero, located right in the heart of the spectacular California Central Coast wine country, which offers a lot more to see and do than simply enjoying the world-class wines we produce here. Atascadero is a town where people are remarkably friendly, food and accommodation prices are far lower than in other wine countries, and every activity imaginable can be found just minutes away in any direction, including world-class wineries, ocean sports, and breathtaking beaches, cycling, equestrian activities, sightseeing, hiking, hot springs, farm-to-table cuisine, cider houses, concert venues, shopping, and so much more. I've had countless visits from around the country by listeners at the Grape Encounters Emporium Wine Bar in Atascadero's historic Colony District. I hope you'll be next. For more information, log on to visitatascadero.com. Hi, it's David Wilson, and if you're a frequent listener, you know that I constantly tell you the importance of aerating most wines. If you don't, you're simply not tasting your wine in all of its glory. Well, there's a remarkable new wine aeration product out that's beautiful, mesmerizing, and destined to revolutionize conventional decanting. It's the V-Spin, a gorgeous decanter that sits on a simple stand. But inside that stand is some very innovative magnetic technology, which enables the wine in the decanter to swirl silently, creating a vortex that exposes the wine to the perfect amount of air in just a few minutes, accomplishing what otherwise could take hours. And you can adjust the speed and time to perfectly suit the wine varietal. I've put the V-Spin through rigorous testing, and the results were consistently stunning. And you can now buy it on Amazon. Learn more at vspin.us. That's V as in vino, spin.us.
0: spinus <laughs> wine winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California.
1: Back with Grape Encounters Radio, and we've been talking about wine and branding. We're going to get into wine judging, but from the perspective of the judge, not really about the, the mechanics of judging and... And how we get to the scores, but I want to tell you some of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes that I think is pretty interesting. But before I get off the subject of branding and wine, I there's one at least that I wanted to mention, and that is the silence of the lambs, Chianti and Pinot Grigio. You might recall the line from the movie, the, one of the most famous lines in the movie, I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. So, uh, of course, there's the Chianti. I'm not sure where the Pinot Grigio comes from. You know, if I was going to pair a wine with Silence of the Lambs, I would probably pair the very best Cabernet Sauvignon possible because when I'm drinking something that good, I'm not talking. I am going to talk to you about some of the things that happen at wine competitions because I'm going to be judging a nice competition in the San Joaquin Valley. That's the big breadbasket not just of California but you know really for the entire US I think it's the biggest breadbasket in the United States of America and it's an interesting place because I think you'll probably recall me talking about some wineries that I discovered there that are making some really extraordinary wines it's not that they don't make great wines in the San Joaquin Valley it's that It's really known more for the bulk wines that they make, the big brands, Barefoot Wines, Gallo Wines – they produce a tremendous amount of tonnage there where grapes are concerned. And, you know, perfectly fine wines for everyday drinking, but in the luxury category, not as many wineries of that type. In fact, not that many wineries there to begin with, just in terms of how many grapes they produce. It's a lot. Well, I've never judged this competition. It's my first competition and it's going to be, I think, a smaller competition. And as far as I know, it's focused on more local wines. So they're going to be of a bit of a different style, than maybe I'm uh, accustomed to judging. Let's start with when it comes to competitions the night before, because there's some really fun stuff that happens at wine competitions. Almost every wine competition has an event that's called a bottle share or something like that. What it boils down to is you go into your wine cellar, your wine inventory, and you go grab something that you really, really, really love or really, really want to impress somebody with. But the idea is you're going to bring a bottle that's going to be an oh, wow, for a number of different reasons. Now, the reason could be that the wine is just simply unbelievable, but you don't want to bring an unbelievable wine that everybody else might have in their cellar as well, because what would the purpose of that be? So you want to find something that's unbelievable and also perhaps hard to get. It's no longer available in wine retail stores anymore more, comes from someplace a long ways away. It's got a lot of age on it. It's been sitting in the cellar. Sometimes some of these guys, the judges, will bring in these magnificent bottles that they've been hanging on to for 30, 40 years. And they're just walking around with these bottles. And you look and you go, oh my gosh, that's a, you know, 1958 whatever. And the wines are sometimes over the edge. In other words, they've probably gone a little too far. But when you're with wine judges, they have Appreciate, you know, even though a wine is past its prime, that they understand and can see where the wine. Once was. It's always sad to know that the wine didn't get consumed before, you know, it was really ready. Anyway, so we're at the bottle share and there's going to be some really amazing stuff there. It'll be from far away places and unusual producing countries, you know, little Transylvanian wines might be there. You never know. I'm really torn because I have to go select a bottle in a few minutes to take to the bottle share. Now, I'm going to hedge my bet. I'm going to take three bottles with me. I'm not going to break them all out at the same time, but I'm going to see what everybody else has got. I'm going to do everything in my power to one up because this is the first time I'm going to be there with this uh, particular group of judges. At least that's what I think because I have a suspicion that the judges that are going to be there are not many of the usual faces that I, I judge with at the Los Angeles International Wine Competition or the Sunset International Wine Competition or others. There's a judging circuit really that we're on and you know some people judge more competitions than others. I judge a lot of competitions, but not nearly what other judges do. So you get to know the people there. You get to know their tastes. And so if you were going to, say, the LA competition, I would have a pretty good idea about what I would bring in terms of a bottle, but another competition might be a different selection. So that's the first part. And this is where you can really get in good with the judges. You know, not that I have any reason to, except that you're going to be sitting at a table with four or five people, perhaps, You're going to be comparing notes on wines. You know, you hope that you're going to be consistent with them because there's nothing worse than having one judge who has a very high score for a wine and another judge that has a very low score for the wine. And if you're on either end of that spectrum, sometimes people look at you a little bit funny. And if you're new to the competition, then there's a good chance that they're going to look at you for sure as being the funny one. That is not in sync, and what is he thinking? So, that bottle share opportunity is also an opportunity to warm people up to you. And I have no idea what to expect, to be honest with you. I don't know who's going to be there. I I didn't check the judges list, had my mind on other things. I'm really excited to go to the competition. I'm really excited to see what's coming out of that valley. I I know there's wines from other regions that'll be there, but I, I know there's going to be a lot of wines from that local region. And so it's exciting to me, and I'm going to bring back some hopefully good information, useful information for you. You know, that's the first thing that happens. That bottle share thing can go on for a long time. Now, remember, We're going to get up early in the morning to begin judging. If you think about it, if every judge and every participant who are working the competition brings in a bottle... And believe me, a lot of people will bring in two, and I've seen more than that. Those bottles are going to get consumed before the end of the night, right? So now judging takes place the next day. Now, you know, most wine judges can hold their wine. It's a good idea to do some spitting because the last thing you want is palate fatigue. And if you're guzzling wine, by the way, there's another instance where I think people might be looking at you sideways. And anyway, you know, they're going to wonder what condition you're in in the morning. All of these little things, you know, that kind of matter. End of the first event... There notoriously are going to be a few judges and people that will stay up even later and maybe they're hoarding something really special and they want to just share it with a a small group of people. Although I generally find that people are pretty generous at these events. But there are some people that will stay up very late and you know this is a lifestyle and they're going to be absolutely qualified the next day to judge. But as for me, I got to get my rest before competitions because I absolutely positively suffer from palate fatigue after a while. And that's just when you've had too much wine and your palate just isn't as sharp as it might otherwise be. And you, by the way, even have to consider what you eat the night before, you know, going out and, you know, smoking a cigar. In my mind, is not a really good idea. Just certain things that affect the way that you taste wine the next day. But okay, the next day comes, you've been out, and you've had a pretty good party the night before, and hopefully nobody's gotten intoxicated but just enjoyed wine over the course of several hours. So now you're going to get up the next morning, you're going to have a nice breakfast, and you're going to keep it on the relatively bland side because if you go too far in one direction or the other, you know, you get too crazy. You have a chili verde omelet with a lot of chilies and uh, some cholula sauce on top of it, something really hot, that's going to throw your palate off as well. So you have to use good judgment. Then you go in. to the room where you're going to get a briefing and you're going to find out who you're going to be paired with to judge. I'm going to come back in just a second and I'll tell you what happens in the mind of the wine judges. Potential insecurity perhaps especially on the part of newer judges. It's a, a bit of a mind game, and I'm going to tell you some things that are probably going to irritate any wine judges who hear this, but I don't really care. It's just the truth, and I believe in the truth, and you believe in the truth, and that's why you listen to Grape Encounters Radio. If you want to know more about the world of Grape Encounters, please go to our website. Visit the website. We've got 454 shows archived on the website. You can search it for all kinds of different content, and we've also got a website store that's got a lot of really cool merchandise. And I'm really excited to announce that we're now going to be selling wine on the store to people who are in states where we're allowed to ship wine to. Check with the store over the next week because I anticipate that we'll have wines up and for sale. It's a brand new thing for us. You'll be able to join the wine club there. Please, 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 please check it out. Grapeencounters.com. How hard is that? Anytime, by the way, I point you to a bottle and I recommend something. You don't like it? You know what if you don't like it i'll replace it and if you like it but don't love it i'll still replace it you know that's how much i believe in what we do at grape encounters and the integrity behind our brand so we'll be back momentarily and we'll uh, get into the head of wine judges at wine competitions
0: people sometimes say it's the wine talking Well, everyone knows that wine can't talk. That's why a bunch of grapes got together and hired David Wilson to do the talking for them. David will uncork today's story after this.
1: For nearly four years, I've taken many opportunities to tell you about the place that Grape Encounters Radio calls home, Atascadero located right in the heart of the spectacular california central coast wine country which offers a lot more to see and do than simply enjoying the world-class wines we produce here Atascadero is a town where people are remarkably friendly, food and accommodation prices are far lower than in other wine countries, and every activity imaginable can be found just minutes away in any direction, including world-class wineries, ocean sports, and breathtaking beaches, cycling, equestrian activities, sightseeing, hiking, hot springs, farm-to-table cuisine, cider houses, concert venues, shopping, and so much more. I've had countless visits from around the country by listeners at the Grape Encounters Emporium Wine Bar in Atascadero's historic colony district. I hope you'll be next. For more information, log on to visitatascadero.com. I want to tell you about one of my absolute favorite treats in the world. I take a piece of triple cream brie cheese, put a few very special 100% organic heirloom walnuts on top and then drizzle a little honey on it to make this a purely irresistible morsel of deliciousness. Then, I pour myself a small serving of decadent port style wine to create the perfect complement. That's just one example of how I pamper myself with products from M.M. Organics in Paso Robles, California. Now, you're on your own with the honey and brie, but the walnuts and port-style dessert wine can be ordered online at mmorganics.com. They've also got lots of other delicious walnut products available, including their peerless, sprouted walnuts in lots of decadent flavors, organic gluten-free walnut flour, raw organic walnut butter, the state organic walnut oil, and fair trade dark chocolate covered walnuts. MM Organics products are among the best in the world. Get yours shipped right away at mmorganics.com.
0: He's back, and he's not alone. Your Grape Encounter continues with David Wilson and a little help from his friends.
1: Well, you know what they say, you never, ever forget your very first wine judging experience. Anyway, uh, I remember mine. I will tell you that I felt confident about my wine knowledge. I've always felt that I look at wine from a very different perspective than, you know, the wine experts who are very focused on tasting notes. I mean, I get all that. I enjoy that experience of saying that, you know, we taste blueberries and cassis and whatever else we detect in the wine. It's Very subjective. I will also say that I enjoy wine from a very emotional perspective because the first thing I like to do is just let that wine hit me emotionally. You know, don't think about the ingredients that you're trying to sort out in your palate, or is it on your palate? I guess, sort out on your palate. You know, you've got to focus, I think, more on just, you know, how does this make me feel? And do that before you pick it apart. Generally speaking, in life and in wine judging, it just works for me better. Here's the thing. You're going to sit down at a table. If there are people at the table that you know, you've probably shared bottles of wine with them over the years. You know their taste. You know how they react to wine. You know how they describe wine wine. You know the things that they're really good at, whether their strength is picking out deficiencies in wine or their strength is picking out really abstract flavors in wine. And it's fun because you know that they're going to attack that bottle when we have to go around the table and describe what we're experiencing. They're going to experience it and share that experience from one perspective. I may share it from another perspective. But there's this comfort level when the judges around the table are people that you know or maybe there even winemakers whose wines you're very familiar with, then, you know, you're in your comfort zone. When the people at the table are not people you know, it's a bit of a different thing altogether because, you know, the first thing it seems like people want to do is establish their credibility. So are you a winemaker? Are you a sommelier? Are you a restaurant owner? Are you a wine wholesaler, retailer? Are you a wine radio host that does wacky things that other wine people don't do. You know, so everybody kind of introduces themselves and you get a feel for, you know, who they are. And, and once you know what they do, then you'll get a pretty good idea about what perspective they're coming from. Now, you know, in the end, it doesn't really matter because each to his own opinion. And we generally, and it's not true in every case, but most of the competitions that I've been at, you know, 100-point scores similar to the Robert Parker system. Some are different. Sunset, as an example, is a 40-point score. If you want to give a wine a really low score and somebody else wants to give it a really high score, you know, you can fight for your position and you could stop a wine from being a gold medal wine. But now you have that on your shoulders and you have to live with that. If there are four people at the table who have given the wine a 93 score and a gold medal and you gave it an 80, you know, some competitions will drop the low score, but you can control whether a wine is going to be a gold medal wine, a silver medal wine, a bronze medal wine, or a no medal wine, and that can be very irritating to the people who have put the wine in the competition, but they're probably not going to know why their wine tanked or why their wine got gold. So it is a responsibility because these people work very hard. A medal can make a big difference in terms of the amount of money they get for their wine and how well the wine sells. As it begins, they'll put down as many as let's say 12 glasses in front of you. They'll all be similar wines, maybe all Chardonnays or all Syrahs or, you know, all blends of some sort. So you know generally what the varietal is you may or may not know where it came from, meaning what region. You will never know who made it because it's always done blind. And then you're going to, you know, go through your wines and you're going to taste and you're going to make notes and you may go back and forth. You're smelling, you know, you're sipping, you're pushing some wines aside and pulling others forward and everybody's got their own system for doing that. But then comes the time when whoever the chair at the table is, and there may be just somebody that's been assigned to do this, asks for your score, if you're going to be the first one to give the score, and usually it alternates, boy, that's the pressure point right there, as you can imagine. You know, you blurt out 82, and everybody else says 91, 94. I gave it a 97. You are the one that everybody's looking at at this point in time, and you better have a good explanation for why you scored the wine so low, or you could just fess up and say, maybe I made a mistake here. That's probably, for me, the thing that I would most likely do. There's no reason to sit there and feel stupid, but I definitely am going to retaste a wine and really give it every consideration in the book. I've seen something really interesting happen at wine competitions, and it's, When there's somebody at the table who is so good at detecting nuances that they find a flaw in the wine that is is a bad flaw. Maybe it's just ever so corked and they point that out. And the others missed it. You see the sort of things that go on there. The one thing that I, I definitely do, no matter what, you can't be mamby pamby when you come out and give your score or your description of the wine, because now we're going to go around and describe the wines, or it might be done at the same time. And you've got to be passionate about what you say about this wine. Or you could just say, this wine just does nothing for me. And that's okay, too. But if you seem unsure of yourself, you might start feeling a lot more pressure throughout the day from the other wine judges who are going to be disappointed that you're not in sync. Here's the good news. I have not been to a competition where the judges at the table weren't in sync within at least, let's say, 20% of each other, 15 even. And I had a very different perspective on wine judging, and I poo-pooed them for a while until I got into the game, and I saw firsthand that in blind tasting with five people around a table from all walks of life that the scoring consistency was pretty amazing. And so I'm going to be in the San Joaquin Valley judging this competition. Can't wait. I'm going to talk about the competition when we come back here next week, and I'll fill you in on how it went down. But it's always exciting to meet new judges. That's going to do it for Grape Encounters this week. Please go to GrapeEncounters.com. Check out everything we've got. So that'll do it for today. We're going to be back here. Next week, same time, with some other pretty cool announcements, at least one, that I'm excited to tell you about next week, but you're going to have to wait. Until then, enjoy some great wine. Make sure that you go to GrapeEncounters.com and check out all the other episodes that we have and all the other things that we offer to enhance your wine lifestyle. And there's a lot of really good information there, so enjoy.
0: You never know what part of the country or the world the Grape Encounter's microphones will take you to. Don't miss a single experience. Your Grape Encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition.